Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, Restoration Church, how are you doing? (laughs) Oh, let's stop and pray then. God, we just pray for your joy and your boldness to fill in some of these people. They're too afraid to clap their hands in church to answer the question, how are you doing? So either their life is terrible or they're just really scared. How are they going to invite people to Easter service if their life is terrible and they're afraid to clap in church? So just pray, change our life now in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, wow. I need to call the band up. We're going to sing House of Miracles. My name is Nate, and I want to take a moment and just thank Maggie. Although Maggie's at our Plymouth location. Maggie, thank you for sharing your story. And uh, for anybody attending in Milton or Plymouth, um, here in Dover or, or in Bethlehem, I mean, this is, this is huge, right? And this is what our entire series is about, to move from being someone who um, who, who attends church occasionally to being someone who's a follower of Jesus. This is why we're in this series. We'll be in this series for much of the year. We'll kind of be in and out of it. Um, next week, we'll be in the series. But then the week after Easter, we're, we're starting a series called Family Classic, which I think off the top of my head is six weeks long. And then probably jumping back into this, if I remember right. We'll be in and out of this all year because we don't just want to be religious people. We don't just want to be church people. We don't just want to be good people. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be like him. And uh, so anyway, that's what we've been in and uh, what we continue to do. So anyway, thank you again, Maggie, for, for sharing your story and um, just, you know, just pumped for you. I don't remember when. It was a couple of years ago, probably a year and a half, two years ago. And Michelle and I were traveling to a conference or traveling back from a conference. So we're at the airport and we're sitting in those it, you, you know, we're sitting in those chairs, those hard, those hard, uncomfortable chairs, and just waiting for the time to pass. I am a, my personality is get to the airport early and wait. So we get there early, we get through security, we get all the way to where we're going to be seated. We find our, our, our spot, our terminal and, and our gate, and then I can kind of relax and chill. So we're there early, and, and we're sitting, and, and my, my memory kind of faintly remembers like it's a layover, so it's even a longer time. But as we're sitting there, um, the guy sitting across, you know, you have to like weirdly sit face to face looking at each other. That guy um, looks at me, and um, he, he got emotions to me, and I, I take out my, my headphone, and, and he's like, hey, could you wash my bag? And I'm like... Yeah, sure. He's like, I just got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So he leaves. I put my my air, my you know my my uh, headphone back in, and um, sorry for whatever reason I can't say AirPod. Like I feel like it, it's like a weird flex. Like I got AirPods, and that's all I'm trying. Like no, I'm old fashioned headphones. And um, so I take off my headphones from my Walkman, and uh, and and I put them back on, and uh, so. Like, maybe 
A few seconds pass, and, and Michelle taps me on my so- shoulder. So I, I, I take my boombox off my shoulder, and I say, <laughs> and she says, I can't believe, I said, where did that guy go? Like, what did he say to you? Oh, he asked me to watch his bag. He had to go to the bathroom. And she said, I can't believe he trusted us with his luggage. And when she said that, and all of a sudden, like this thought occurred in my head, and I processed it. And about three or four or five seconds later, I said to her, I can't believe we trusted him. We're at an airport, and this guy I don't know just left me with his luggage and took off. And then I began to like panic. Like, I, like I, I just begin like, what's going to happen? Like, sh- should I look through his bag? Like, where's airport security? I'm like, if he's really sick, how long would he be in the bathroom for? If he's not back by this amount of time, like, I'm going to have to go get someone. Thankfully... He seemed to be healthy, and he returned in a normal amount of time, and, um, and even enough time, he probably washed his hands, and he came back. But, but just think about that, right? We, we often think, I can't believe, you, you know, we, 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 I can't believe they trusted me, and we're not always thinking maybe from the other vantage point, I can't believe I'm trusting them, and, but trust is, it, it is kind of involve a lot of things it's, it can be complex, it can be difficult, it can be challenging, and, and there can be times where you trust someone and it was a mistake, and times where you didn't trust someone and it was a mistake. This conversation this morning is about trust, that we would trust like Jesus. Not just trust him, but that we would trust God, his father, like he did. And before we go on, I just want to say um, to Pastor Victoria, who's who's at Milton today, she was preaching here last week. Jeremy and I were in Bethlehem helping them uh, set up and and to train everybody. But Pastor Victoria, you did a great job as you talked about forgiveness. And we just appreciate you and the gifts that God has put within you. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to tell you two passages of Scripture to look up, and you're welcome to tag team this. So one of you can look up one, and the person you're sitting next to can look up the other. But we want to open up to Luke chapter 23, and we want to open up to Psalm 31. These two passages of Scripture are connected, and I'll show you why here in a minute. But the first passage that we're going to read, this is... um, This is a portion of the time when Jesus is hanging on that cross. So this Friday, Good Friday, Christians across the world will remember, will hold services, will hold times of prayer to remember Good Friday, that day when Jesus was nailed to that cross where he was hung and where he died. And the passage we're about to read it is, um, it is an account of those moments when he hung on that cross. So Luke 23, and you can go down to verse number 44. And it says this, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle Then Jesus shouted, focus on this, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. As Jesus hung on the cross, 
prepared to die. We, we, you know, we know of all the possible things he could have done. And you, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about he was obedient to the cross and he could have just disconnected from that plan and said, I'm not going to do it. But he, but he endured, he was faithful and he finished what God had called him to. But here in this moment, as this, as his earthly life and this earthly body was going to end, he says these words, I entrust my spirit to you, God. Now, we're going to look now at Psalm 31, because Jesus here, this line that he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. You'll see it in your Bible that there's quotation marks around that, because he is quoting scripture. He's quoting another part of the Bible, even with his last words uh, before his death. So Psalm 31, we'll begin to read that. It says, oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to me, rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. And then verse number five, I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Jesus here speaks, he, he says, literally, I trust you, God. I'm entrusting you now with my spirit because as, it, this, you know, as his spirit is leaving his earthly body, there's a, there's a few things about this I want you to consider, but he's trusting that God's going to complete the plan they set out to accomplish. Jesus knew death and punishment was his purpose when he left heaven and became man on, uh, you know, in that lowly manger. He knew it was the plan. As he lived his life, he knew it was the plan. In the garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying in, in, in torment and anguish, God, let this cup pass from me. He knew it was the plan. He was obedient to the cross. He trusted God through the process. But think about this for a moment, and, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think any of this could happen, but if this story, which is a true story, if it were a Greek mythology, if it, if it were Greek mythology and a story from Greek mythology, this would be how it would happen. God and the Holy Spirit are getting tired of being a trinity. God, Father, God, God the Holy Spirit and God the Son Jesus, they are three separate, but, but, but they are one mysteriously and miraculously they are one. But in this fictional story, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are getting tired of God the Son, so they devise this scheme and they cleverly tell him, oh, you're gonna save everybody. And when he gets to the cross and he dies, then God the Father and God the Holy Spirit don't do anything with it. They've just lied to him. And this would be why we celebrate April Fool's Day every year, 
Because in the same way God the Father tricked his son, now we trick others. You think about this for a moment. Is he's trusting God that in his death, God's not tricking him. I mean, he truly knows his father and he trusted him to the point of, because remember Jesus in this moment where he's died on the cross, he is taking all the sin of the world upon himself. So you think about the things that you're, that you're beating yourself up about, the things that you think God shouldn't forgive me for these things. We already did. And Jesus already took the punishment for those things. So Jesus, as he's, as he's on that cross being punished for all the things you think God shouldn't forgive you for, he still trusts God. That he is going to work it for the salvation of his creation. In his life and in his death, Jesus trusted God's goodness. We sang about that this morning. You are good. You can't be anything but good. And what we see if Jesus can trust his father through that entire process, if he can in his last moment say, all right, this is my, this is all I have left to surrender. I trust my spirit in your hands, God. If he is able to do that, we're able to look at our lives and ourselves, and we're able to trust the goodness of God as well. We can trust him to forgive our sins. We can trust him to treat us kindly. We can trust him in things, in areas he wants to bless us, in areas he wants to prune us, we can trust him. You might find that difficult, and there are a couple reasons why you might find it hard to trust God. One, you don't know him. As you sit in our, our services today and I talk about trusting God, you don't know him. You've, you know, he's as fictional to you as Zeus is to, uh, to sixth graders in middle school. It's just a fictional character. You don't know him. And, um, and so because you don't know him, why would you trust him? It, you know, it's not like you'd meet some stranger at the airport and just take care of their luggage for them. Who would ever do that? You don't trust strangers because you don't know God. It's just, it seems like an impossible thing. And even as you sit in service today, there's maybe a teeny tiny small part of you that would say, I kind of wish I could believe. There's a teeny tiny part of you that says, I wish I could be forgiven. But because you don't know God, it's like, well, but how do I know that this is what I should do? And you kind of go through that wrestling match in your head. Another reason why we can find it hard to trust God is because we have a wrong image of God. It's maybe it's been distorted some way. It can be because of our experiences. It can be because of our preferences. It can be because of our theology. And if you were with us during Christmas time, we talked about having a, sometimes people have a theology of bad gift giving. They think that the only thing God gives us is junk and things we don't want. 
and we have a bad theology. What does scripture say? It says the opposite. If you know how to good, good, give good gifts, how much more does your father know how to give good gifts? Now, a bad theology can make us not trust God. I, at some point last summer, and we're dreaming that it will be summer again, I was um, at a playground and my, uh, it was then eight years old. He, as I go on to tell the story, I just want you to know he's still with us, all right? It's gonna sound a little bit like he passed away. He's still with us. He was asking me to push him on the swings. And if my kids challenge me with something like higher or faster, I just wanna let them know, don't ever challenge me. So I begin to push him on the swing and push him on the swing and I like to get it to the place where the chains kind of melt, right? And then all of a sudden they catch and just that nice bit of healthy fear for me, healthy fear for them. And so we do that a few times. It's like, higher, higher. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, someone should get a video camera. But I... I wind up, I get a good momentum, and then I just charge underneath that thing, lifting him eight feet above my head and running through. And when I turn around, he's not on the swing set anymore. <laughs> the chain had gotten so loose that he actually went, he was actually underneath the swing, holding onto the chains, and he held onto it long enough till he came back down and hit the ground, and then it just rolled him. And I was like, where's his mom? <laughs> I looked back at him, and was like, what happened? And I don't know, I don't, this could be Photoshopped, but my memory was him saying, that was awesome. But it's probably not what he said. I think it was the shock that was going through my head. I just translated it that way. He was probably like, call 911. But he just smacked. Now, depending on, I mean, you may have uh, playground trauma from your past that you're, that you're wrestling with right now, but he could have said, I will never trust my dad again. And I'm like, son, give me a hug. He's like, no, no, you're gonna put me in a bear hug again. Son, help me go to sleep. I'm like, why are you putting, why are you wrapping my arms around my, you're, why are you wrapping your arms around my neck like that? I'm gonna help you go to sleep, son. <laughs> Rockabye. Right, he could have said, my, I can't trust my dad. Whatever he says is fun is gonna end in pain. He could have said, I don't trust swings anymore. He could have said, I don't trust chains anymore. Right, he could have gone through as a young, and, and, and sometimes even as an adult, we're like, I'm afraid of water, I'm afraid of spiders, I'm afraid of people with tattoos of spiders. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it was like, this makes no sense. Why am I still carrying this fear over something I know that I have control of, right? Afraid of the dark, afraid of, afraid of church. Lots of things we can be afraid of because we have a wrong image of God. Listen, here's, here, here's like my, my first challenge to you this morning. It's not what you think of God that matters. It's not what I think of God that matters. It's what he says about himself that matters. It's what he says about himself. 
Now, God's not someone who can lie. And, you, and, you, and so that might, you might wrestle with that a little bit. Like, I'm supposed to trust a guy who says he can't lie? Like, the last time that happened, I overpaid for, for a Chevy Cor- Corsair. Uh, I don't even remember if I've got that, but definitely a Chevy Corsica, right? That was an old crappy car. It was a Corvair and a Corsica. Man, Chevy. If only they still made the celebrities, right? Right? So we, that was a car. Uh, so we, we can get stuck there. But for you and I, who says, yeah, I'm, all right, I'm a follower of Jesus. Then we have to make our understanding of God from scripture not on our experience, not on our preference, not on our own theology, but on scripture. And any time in our life where we come up to something in scripture that challenges our image of God, our position as a follower of Jesus should always be to yield. To yield what I think according to what Scripture says, and that is part of trusting like Jesus. Okay, I've got these bad experiences, but I'm recognizing Scripture says this. Here we go. I'm going to trust. Here we go. I'm going to let go of what I think and what I feel and step into what God says. What happens if we don't trust or if we stop trusting? And I'll tell you this, if you're in here and says, all right, I wanna follow Jesus, you cannot follow him if you cannot trust him. But he's gonna, get, he's gonna ask you to go down some paths. He's gonna ask you to go some places that will be difficult. He's gonna ask you to do some things that will challenge you, but you're not gonna be, you will not follow him there if you cannot trust him to get you through to the other side of that. In scripture, I, there, there's a, a few stories that, in, that connect. I mean, obviously the whole scripture connects to Jesus, but there's th- this time period where Joseph, the guy in Joseph, his brothers go to kill him. Instead, they realize they can profit off of him. So they sell him as a slave. And over time, this slave becomes second in command for the nation of Egypt, working as a right-hand guy to one of the pharaohs. When his father dies, his father says to him, and, and you know, long story, but his father and his brothers, about 70 of his family members, ended up getting rescued by him and um, now moving and farming and living in Egypt. The father says to his son Joseph, Jacob says to Joseph, when I die, please bring my bones back to my land. Don't, don't allow me to be buried in Egypt. When he died, Joseph did just that. He brought his father and buried him in the land that he was born. When Joseph was gonna die, he says to his brothers and his sons and his grandchildren, don't allow me to be buried here, but when you go back to our land, bring my bones with you and bury me there. 
So what did his brothers and his sons and his grandchildren do? They did nothing. They never went back. They stayed in Egypt. Why did they do that? The only thing holding them really in Egypt was their brother's power, his position, the privilege. They got good land and they were able to farm it. Now that the brother's gone, it'd be like, there's, and their dad, there's nothing connecting them there. Let's go back to where we're from. But there is now obviously a lot of comfort. They built homes, they've lived there for a long time. You know, multiple generations, they've lived there now. And to just leave and go back, it just didn't make sense. This is just something to point out. Like God's calling you to, Jesus is calling you to follow him. We're, God's calling us to trust him. And you can stay where you are. And we're not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. God's not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. But if you stay where it's safe, you end up really in a place of danger. Maybe not physical danger, most likely, maybe, but in a spiritual danger. And as Joseph's brothers and his sons and his grandchildren, as his whole family stayed in Egypt after Joseph had left, they just like, let's just stay where it's safe. Everything's good here. Why leave? What happened? Slowly, over time, they went from being, they went from Joseph being second in command to the all the entire Hebrew people were now slaves for Egypt. Egypt. 400 years passed, they went from Joseph who was in charge to now millions of people in slavery. Think about that for a moment because they didn't trust, because they decided to just stay where it was safe. If we stop trusting Jesus, if we stop trusting God as he's calling us, he needs pick up your cross, pick up your cross, lay down this sin, lay down this comfort, lay down this dream, lay down this pride, lay this down. If we stop trusting him and we just say, this is as far as I want to go. This is as far as I'm comfortable. What can happen to us is we slowly become slaves to sin. As it all of a sudden creeps in and we don't want to let go of it anymore. And it overtakes and it just absolutely imprisons us. Now, 400 years later, after Joseph had said that to his brothers, Moses, he's, he's, um, God's used him. And they, these million plus slaves, Egypt's like, get out of here. You can leave, go. Like, I'm tired of you, get out. And so Moses is leaving with them. And what does he bring with him? But the bones of Joseph. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all these mighty men and women of God before us who had had great faith, who trusted God so greatly. And the thing about Joseph, when it points out all the areas of his life, he doesn't say Joseph trusted God so great that even when his brothers threw him into slavery, he didn't waver. Even when Potiphar 
threatened, Potiphar's wife threatened to extort him and kill him, he didn't waver. Even when it seemed like his dreams would never happen, he didn't waver. No, what, what points out here in his life was, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 22, was that, um, that he spoke and said that, um, that he commanded, hey, we're gonna be going back. So when you go back, bring my bones with you. Like he was just so confident that God was gonna bring his people back to their land. Now, the, the, the Hebrew people now, they've seen God set them free from slavery. They've seen the Red Sea. They've seen all of the plagues. They've just seen God's mighty provision and they come against a new obstacle because there's always gonna be a new obstacle. There's always gonna be another thing where we have to trust God. The new obstacle they see is giants. They're gonna go move into this new land and they feel like a bunch of fifth graders staring at a bunch of high school seniors like, we can't do this. We can't do this, it's too big. They're too scary. It can't happen. Listen, they saw God beat the Egyptians, like the number one nation in the world. They should have had full confidence that God would defeat these same giants, but they wouldn't trust. Hey, we can trust you so far. We can't trust you now for this new obstacle. What did they do? They settled. They settled for less than what God promised. And they ended up wandering for another 40 years as God let a generation that decided to settle die off. And everybody who went into the promised land, only two from that generation from that time period went, uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb. This has all kinds of implications for us on our relationships, on our careers, on our present circumstances. An obstacle shows up and we just think this one, I'm too tired for this. This one's too big. This one's too much. And we just settle. I think of the, uh, any of you who are, who are single and you're in, in, in scripture saying, hey, don't be unequally yoked. If you're following Jesus, find and start a relationship with someone who's following Jesus and you think this is impossible there's no way and so what do you do you end up settling we settle because we cannot trust and you're there's enough good things in your life like God's still providing he still provided manna and quail for another 40 years he still defended them from their enemies so it's not like God abandoned them. He's not gonna abandon you either. But you're just not in that promised place that he wants for you. Listen to this, anytime that you don't trust God with your future, then you're stuck holding on something from your past. And we've gotta let go of those former things in order to step into the new things that God has for us. For some of us, that first thing that we do today is to admit that we need a savior, that there's no amount of good deeds we can do in our life to make us right before God. Just say, okay, I'm a sinner, I admit it. 
I need a savior, I admit it. And that's the first step of trust that you take this morning, asking Jesus to be your savior and accepting the punishment that he had endured on the cross to pay for the punishment that you deserve. Now, our ability to trust directly correlates with our growth spiritually. The more we trust God, the faster we grow spiritually. The more we trust him, the faster we grow. So are you stuck somewhere? Are you settled somewhere? Are you enslaved to a sin that it's not even from your past, it's a new one you've started since you started following Jesus? Could it be that you've stopped trusting God or you don't trust God in this area of your life? Proverbs chapter three, five and six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sometimes even we trust in our head, but not in our hearts. We say, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, absolutely. I follow God. But then when he asks us to do something, we say, sorry, can't do it, won't do it, unable to do it. You have to ask someone else. Last year, a bunch of us went to the Invest Conference, and so if you were there, you heard Pastor Nicole Schreiber share this story, uh, which is kind of a famous story, but there was a tightrope walker named Charles Blondin, and in the course of his lifetime, he, he walked a tightrope across the Niagara Falls over 300 times, and um, just did many, many different shows there, did all kinds of different things, uh, did other stuff too around the world, but that's kind of what he's most famous for. He crossed one time wearing a, uh, like a potato sack over his head. Uh, he crossed one time backwards. He crossed it on the bicycle one time. One time he crossed it carrying a bunch of stuff with him and uh, like a little camp stove. And in the middle of the tightrope, he built a fire and ran the stove, cooked an omelet, and then served it to someone, served it to someone on the Maid of the Mist boat. He did that, all that on the tightrope, tightrope. One time, this is a story you might be familiar with, as he crossed the Niagara Falls, he crossed from, I, I believe, if I remember right, the Canadian side to the USA side, and it, with a wheelbarrow, crossed the whole way over get to the USA side and it was like, hey, how many of you think I could cross with a person in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd just goes crazy. <laughs> if they were on the Canadian side, it'd be like, wee wee. <laughs> and, and so he's like, so the whole crowd erupts. He's like, all right, which of you will get in the wheelbarrow? And then it was as if their pastor had asked them, how are you doing today? It was just dead quiet silent. No one would get in the wheelbarrow. No one would volunteer because though they, in their head, they trusted him and they knew he could do it in their own heart with their own life on the line. It was like, no way I can't actually get in that wheelbarrow. Church, church, church. You can trust God. You can trust God. He's never fallen off the tightrope one time. And you know what? He's never dropped one person. There's been a lot of people who've gotten scared and jumped out of the wheelbarrow themselves, but he has never dropped anyone. 
Jesus prays, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands because it is only in the hands of his Father where we are safe. And Jesus said this as a promise, and I'll close with this and pray for you. John recorded this, and you can find it in John chapter 10, verse number 29. Jesus said this, my Father has given them to me, he's talking about his disciples, and he is more powerful than anyone else. Really, you've got to have an image of God, an understanding of God. One of the reasons we can trust him is, is it is because he is more powerful than anyone, anyone. And he said this, no one can snap them, snatch them from the Father's hands. When our Father has us in our hands, when we willingly trust him and place our lives in his hands, we're there. No one can take us from him. He will never drop us. He will never be like, hands getting a little crowded. I better flick a few out of here. No. There's no safer place that we can be than trusting God and doing and living and being exactly who he's asked us to be. If you're comfortable, you close your eyes. I want to pray for you. And I don't want to just pray for you. I want you to pray for yourself as well. Maybe you just recognize this is a part of your life you're not trusting. Or maybe you recognize this is a sin you're holding on to or there's, there's something... You won't allow him to forgive, but there's a place in your life that you're not trusting. And I want you to talk to him about that as I pray for you. Jesus, we love you. We love you. And this week, we're going to think about you often. We're going to read about what you did for us. And, you, you know, people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. We shout, Hosanna, Hosanna today. And we begin this week as we read through scriptures, just blown away, challenged by what you endured for our salvation. If you're able to obey all the way to the cross, if you're able to trust your Father through all of that, I pray you help us to trust Him in the same way. That whatever He requires of us, whatever he wants of us, whatever he offers us, we'll step into it. We'll follow you as you follow him, and we will trust you as you trust him, and we will trust him as you've trusted him. Move in our heart and our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.